From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. So I just want to, I want to go back. We were looking at Genesis 4. I said we closed it out. I'm sorry. Um, Cain, so God has banished Cain, right? He's saying you're going to be a restless wanderer throughout the earth. And then this is what Cain says to the Lord. He says, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on this earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Right? I will be a restless wanderer on this earth. I just want to spend some time this morning talking about this restless wanderer. Uh, it's a vagabond. Uh, it's a wanderer. It's a restless person. Uh, it's, it's somebody who is nomadic uh, but has no ties and connections with the land. Okay, This is what the curse that God put upon Cain is that you're no longer going to be tied to your land and you're going to be a wanderer, uh, and you're going to be considered an outcast wherever you go in the world, okay? Now this, believe it or not, ties in a little bit to all the stuff that's going around the world. Because if you grew up in a community like I did, so I grew up in Phoenix uh, in, a, you know, in a very strong household, brothers and sisters, they all went to the school system before me. I was uh, sixth out of seventh. By the time I got to school, at uh, Squaw Peak Elementary School in Phoenix, Arizona. It's no longer there. Um, if, uh, well, actually, I think the school is there, but they changed the name. Squaw Peak is no longer politically correct. So when I went to this school in the Creighton School District in Phoenix, Arizona, by the time I got there, uh, the principal knew my family, you know, history, all my brothers and sisters that all gone before me, uh, they prejudged me based upon my brothers and sisters, right? And I had uh, at least, you know, some of them were very good sports people. Uh, some were very th uh, thoughtful people. Some of them were kind of not so thoughtful people. I mean, any, any family, you have a range of people that have, you know, different ways that they go through school. And so I was judged based upon that. But also, you know, I had a connection with that community because I was a part of that community. I grew up in that little isolated community, uh, and I knew, um, uh, you know, people knew who I was because I was part of that community. There was there was a tie to the community, and there was a tie to the land. Now, when I left Phoenix, I left all that behind, and I went to Denver. And one of the hardest things for me to leave Phoenix and move to Denver was that I was no longer tied to this root of community. Now, you know, if you grew up in, some of you may have grown up and lived in the same neighborhood your whole entire life. And if you did, you can kind of understand what I'm talking about. Um, if you came here to Vail, you didn't, uh, chances are you did not grow up in Vail. Chances are you were transplanted into Vail. But maybe you grew up in a small little community in your hometown or a little suburb of a large town like Chicago or New York or something like that. And if you have, you kind of understand what it means or what it, to live in a community. For me, it was 32 years. I lived in the same neighborhood uh, in Phoenix for 32 years before I left. So there was a comfort level that I was, I was um, part of that community. It was, it was rich and deep. 
and people would say the last names of people and I would know exactly that family. You know, there were some there were some families that had lots and lots of kids and so they would say that last name and I'd say, is it part of that family? They'd say, yeah, and it's like, I know, <laughs> you know, because I know everything about that family. You just, this is, this is the way you grow up, okay? If you live in a small, in a small town or a small community, you just know everybody. And this is the problem with Cain, right? He was thrown out of his community. He was no longer tied to the land, to the community that raised him and all that. He is a restless wanderer. He's a vagabond. He is a nomad. He's being pushed out. And that's the curse, okay? Because when he moves into a different community, he no longer has the blessing of the community going with him, right? He's no longer like, oh, that's, that's Adam and Eve's son, right? He's moving out somewhere else and he's different. He is no longer connected to that little isolated community. He's a wanderer. He's a nomad. Now, somebody asked me last week, uh, you know, where do these other people come from? And uh, the Bible is silent about that, right? We know that, that Cain goes to a different land and there's people there. So at some level, it must be Adam and Eve. Um, it says in Genesis that Adam and Eve bore Cain and Adam and Eve bore Abel. But it doesn't talk about, you know, were there other children that came from Adam and Eve and did they spread out and all that sort of thing. And they must have because there's people elsewhere. So I'm not really even going to dive into that story. I'm just going to tell you that when Cain moves to the land of Nod and there are people there, he's a stranger and he's an outcast. And at some level, he is starting at zero. Uh, what does it mean to start at zero? It means he has no... Uh, papers as it will. He has no history. He doesn't have the good name of his family. He doesn't have the good name of anything. He is starting basically at ground zero. And the thing is, is that when you are starting at ground zero, the hardest, the hardest thing in your life is to get up one rung of the ladder. Okay. So when Cain moves to a different land, uh, he has to fight for food. He has to fight for shelter. Um, and when he moves to where there's other groups of people, he is starting at zero. And he is basically at their mercy for them to give him food or shelter or welcome him into their community because he's an outsider. And if you know anything about communities is that they don't always welcome outsiders. I mean, look at some, uh, you know, novels are written about this, but tribes in Africa that are very, very close-knit. Uh, you know, an outsider goes into that tribe uh, and it, it, it is perfectly acceptable for an outsider to come into that tribe and for them to kill the outsider because the outsider presents a threat to that tribe. And, you know, we say, thou shalt not kill. We understand that. But the one time we can kill is when there's outsiders threatening the United States, right? And so then we we band together as a tribe and we say, okay, we're going we're gonna to get rid of that threat. Well, the same thing happens with tribes across the world. People who are not part of that tribe, who are outsiders, who are vagabonds, who are strangers, come into that tribe and they're either accepted by that tribe or they're killed by that tribe. That's why Cain had to have a mark on him so that he would not be killed, right? 
because it was a mark by God that says, if you kill me, God's going to punish you seven times, whatever you know it is. So that at least he's not going to get killed, but that doesn't mean he's going to be accepted. So um, all that is to say is that when you have nothing, when you are at the zero of zero, um, you are starting from a very, very difficult situation. Now, there are people in our community who for whatever reason have been are starting with zero they're starting with zero education they're starting with zero family history uh, they're starting with zero money they're starting from a deficit or zero uh, in their life these could be people who may have been born and raised without a family They've been born and raised in a community where they've had to be, you know, have street credentials, you know, to survive. And if your whole life is survival by living on the street and fighting in the street, uh, but then you want to get into a position where you get a job and have a, you know, have a career or whatever, something like that, you may not have in your background anything that makes you acceptable to be able to do that. And I think that is at the root of some of the problems that we're seeing across the United States because we, um, we have, uh, you know, there was, what was the Emancipation Proclamation, 1865? This is, I'm trying to think, Lincoln was elected in 1860 and 1864, and I think so 1865 is maybe a, a, the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, and uh, and black people were freed from slavery, at least in the North, maybe not for the South for some, some time. And so they were starting from basically zero. And even though they were freed, that didn't necessarily mean that they had all of the economic and political and sociological things that come along so that they were able to get to that first rung or the second rung or the third rung of the ladder. And fortunately, there were a lot of wonderful people who showed grace to that whole entire uh, you know, slave people and started educating them and training them and getting them up the economic ladder. But it has taken a long time and there are still a lot of people left behind in the economic, political, sociological system and uh, if you are at zero, it is a very, very scary place to be because if you are at zero, it, you have to rely on someone else to help you get to the next rung of the ladder. And that may be very, very difficult. And for some people, it may look almost impossible. And I know that we have program after program. We have education. We have training. There's all sorts of things but there are still people who are left behind. And so um, we as Christians should be concerned at every level with every person in this world. If there's somebody that we see that for whatever reason cannot get to the next level of, you know, whatever, we should try to help them at, you know, to get to the next level. On the flip side, there will also be people who take advantage of that kindness, generosity, and they will try to milk it for all it's worth, especially if you come up through the street system, right? 
if you come up through the streets, anything that you get, you're going to hold on to and you're going to try to use it because you, you don't know when your next thing is going to happen. So all of this is to say is that the rioting that's happening across the United States is, is very similar. It's happening because at some level, there are people who feel that they've been disenfranchised, lost in the shuffle, lost in the, in the race, you know, in this race to have things in this life, and they feel like they've been left out. And it may be because there's a systemic cultural problem, but it could be that, I mean, whatever it is, that's at its root why people are rioting, because they feel like they've been left behind that for some reason the world has moved on and they've been left behind and they can't get a handle on the next rung of the ladder to move forward. So on the flip side of that, there are bad actors who are using the emotions of, of, of people who are left behind, using the emotions of people who only think with their heart, uh, using the emotions of... Um, you know, of this situation so that they can get their agenda moved forward. You know, and this happens on all sides of the political spectrum. And um, I guess I also want to say that uh, throughout history, we've seen this time after time after time after again. All right. You have a culture of people and they're moving forward and people get left behind. I guess I got a little bit of time. I'm going to talk to you about the Pareto principle. There was a guy named Pareto. He was a Italian economist, I guess, and he wanted to know why it was that some people that throughout time there seems to be an economic divide. There seems to be the haves, you know, the top 1%, 5%, 10%. There seems to be middle class and then there's the have-nots. And it seems like every society seems to have this distribution. He called it the Pareto distribution, okay? That basically he looked at, at over time, different types of governments. He was trying to figure out which style of government actually reduced the economic divide. And what he found out was that across all types of government throughout history, it's just a natural tendency that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And there's, it doesn't seem to, there's no perfect form of government that he'd seen yet that where this didn't happen. And I, I'm sure I showed you this before. I'll just really quickly show it to you again. You have um, Newton's law of uh, gravity, which is m1, m2, uh, and the distance between, right? This is the distance. So the force exerted between these bodies, F equals m1, m2, over the distance squared times some factor. Okay, so um, if you have zero, if you're coming into this world with zero mass, you, there's no force there, right? You are going to be lost. And the other thing is, is that no matter how much money you have, the people at the top will always get richer and more powerful and more influence. That's just the way life happens. So right now, the wealthiest of our society are all the tech companies, right? Amazon and Google and uh of Facebook and all these things, they have a lot of wealth and there's a lot of economic disparity here in the United States, uh, which is interesting is because the founding fathers, if there was anything that they wanted to do was to not have economic disparity. And Thomas Jefferson actually spoke about this. 
He wanted us, the United States, to make to remain an agrarian society. He thought that would be the best way for us to not end up with economic disparity. But then you have Alexander, Alexander Hamilton, who wanted us to become a political power, and he started creating you know, all these different systems so that the United States could move from agrarian society into the complex society that we see in the United States today. And it turns out that maybe Thomas Jefferson was right, but we're also competing against other societies across the world. Thomas Jefferson, um, you know, for whatever reason, you know, didn't want to have this complex society. He wanted to remain agrarian so that there was kind of a level playing field. The thing is, is that other societies around the world were not going to just stay agrarian societies. So even the United States had to become a complex society to be able to compete in the world around us. And, and that was Alexander Hamilton's great thing is that he helped set up our United States so that we could compete on a global level. And we did. And now, you know, we've conquered, you know, we are probably the superpower of the world. And we can go back to Alexander Hamilton. It's him. Um, but we are still, even in the United States today, we are seeing that the wealth, you know, it, it always happens in every society across the world, across time, is the wealth seems to just get attracted to the top and the wealthier get wealthier, the middle class gets shrunk and the poor get poorer. And in every society where this happens across the world, you end up with revolution, right? You end up with people who are at the very, very low end who say, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm never going to make it in this world. So I might as well create anarchy uh, and I'm going to tear and burn everything to the ground. And maybe out of the rubble of that, I'll get to the first rung of the ladder. And so you always have the, <laughs> this cycle where you start a society, it's more equal, and then over time, uh, it gets very diverse where, where you have wealth concentrated at the top and not at the bottom, and then the people at the bottom are, create a revolution. I mean, this has happened throughout history, throughout time. Uh, and we'll probably talk about this in Genesis, but... In, in the book of Genesis, the, every seven years of seven, every 50th year was called the Jubilee year, which was kind of like a revolution where if you owed property and debt, it was wiped out uh, and everybody kind of started over again. It was a great system. I often thought maybe we should do that uh, because in short of like, how do you give people economic freedom and allow them to get as much wealth as you know Jeff Bezos gets without... Uh, you know, putting a whole lot of laws and restrictions on him because he has freedoms too. Uh, and then how do you protect the people at the lower end to make sure that they can get onto the first, second, third rung of ladder and protect them? And obviously the, the bottom line is, is that apparently the American society over the last 20, 50 years, I don't know, um, has not done a good job of that. Or there are a whole lot of bad actors using uh, this situation or this racial inequality or this economic inequality or or whatever to try to fuel things so that they can advance their agenda. I mean, that's probably, everybody wants to advance their agenda, right? Uh, and that is why uh, it was so bad for Cain to go out because he was starting back again at the economic zero, right? He had a family, he had land and all that. Now he gets kicked out and he has nothing to start with. And just think of what that would be like to start with nothing, to live in a world where you have nothing and you probably will get nothing. And at some point you might be revolutionary also. And that might have some applicability to our world today. I don't know. Um, the, the, the riots that are happening, uh, 
when I talk to people about it, I always tell people to just step back and think who will benefit from the riot, who will benefit from the chaos and the disruption, who are the bad actors, who are the good actors, who are using this for their own political purposes, um, you know, who are trying to... Uh, and those questions are really, really hard to answer. And so uh, it's so... Uh, it's so easy to jump in and take one side or the other and say, this is the truth. And the fact is nobody has a handle on the truth. The only person that has a handle on the truth is Jesus. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so, um, that is, so that's kind of the backstory, I guess, to we should pray for our nation. We should pray for, uh, for good leadership. We should pray for bad actors to be wiped out. Uh, we should pray for um, people who are really, truly uh, hopeless and in despair and they feel like their lives are being disrupted or that nobody's cared about them, that somehow the church of Jesus Christ, it's not going to be politics, my friends. It's never politics. Uh, the only hope for the world around us is the church of Jesus Christ because Jesus at its root is the kingdom of God which says that all people matter, uh, that we should look out for all people, regardless of where they come from or who they are. We should show grace and mercy. We should help everybody uh, that we can, that we see lying on the side of the road that's been beat up. We should pick them up and put them on our horse and take them to the nearest inn. That's what we've been called to do. And it's the only organization ever in history that has really truly made a difference in the world because the vast majority of other people have political agendas and people with political agendas are very, very dangerous on both sides. So um, my prayer for our world is that we figure out as a church how to mend, how to heal, how to be good actors, how to bring God's grace into a situation that's terrible, uh, how to find the wandering canes in this world and uh, you know, accept them and help them to to you know live the life that God has for them. Bring them into the kingdom. Show them that their life is wonderful. This is the joy that Jesus has for them too. Um, and pray for our nation and our healing uh, because this is a terrible time. Uh, you know, back to back coronavirus into this riot is something I just wonder if our nation can hold together. And uh, so. I guess uh, this is wandering thoughts, and I apologize for that, but I couldn't let this go without helping you know, add some perspective onto this situation uh, because uh, some perspective is needed. And the truth may never be known, but, but we only get partial truth now until more facts come out. And I pray that, that we can get facts out you know, before the whole system gets burned down. So that's going to end it today for Genesis 4. I know we said we, said we ended last week, but, uh, but I just felt like we needed to spend some time about Cain and the restless wanderer. Uh, and I really feel like we should spend some time praying for our nation. So if you join me in prayer. Dear God, um, we lift up to you all those people affected through this horrible uh, thing that's going around our world. And I pray, Lord, that you would, that your presence would be known, that your grace would be known, that your church would be powerful in the, in the midst of 
injustices and violence and um, sin in this world. Lord, you've called us to be the one uh, the one thing, your hands and feet, that can truly bring uh, healing and hope to a world that desperately needs it. And so we call upon you now and your presence. Uh, continue to give us your wisdom and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.